0: Good evening.
1: Good evening. Hi.
0: My name is Robert White. That's it.
1: And I'm Liz. What do we do wrong?
0: We're too close to each other.
1: Oh.
0: Okay. Liz and I are going to tell you, not our whole life, but uh, hopefully some events that you can connect with. We've been married for 38 years, have four married daughters who live in Dallas, and four new grandbabies born into our family within the last year and a half. We have served in the marriage ministry at Watermark for nine years, and we currently lead a close group. And normally, I would tell you know, my folks in this group to be taking notes, and I would be taking copious notes to talk about what they got out of it, but we already have copious notes, so we're ahead of everybody tonight. You might wonder why people get up here and share their stories with complete strangers. It's not fun. Just like you, we had lots of problems and we did not anticipate them or handle them well. And our backgrounds didn't prepare us for what uh, we would encounter. We both grew up feeling fairly entitled, uh, had a pretty pretty good upbringing and uh, God decided to show us uh, some things that we never thought we would go through. Liz is going to begin our story.
1: I grew up in a loving secure and privileged family uh, as Robert said and um, I am the middle child with two brothers on either side. Our parents raised us with a strong moral code and they emphasized the importance of giving back to the community around us. We attended a church that reinforced those values, but they did not teach us about Christ or my need for salvation. So when I was 15, fast forward, three really big changes occurred in my life. First, my parents went through a very caustic divorce involving several custody suits and the splitting up of my brothers and me. At that time, it's hard to believe now I realize I didn't know anyone whose parents were separated or divorced. And so in the midst of that rocky time, I had just started high school. And there I met a really cute guy, two years older than me and miles ahead of me in relationship experience. But after five or six dates with him, I remember thinking, this is the guy I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Now, I guess that's the way 15-year-olds think. But it's bizarre that my thought actually turned out to be true. And this guy is sitting right next to me some 40-plus years later. Um, The third and most significant event happened a few months after that, and uh, with all the recent trauma in my life uh, and my family, I began wondering if there was more to life than just being a good person, and I wondered if God really did exist and if he really did care about me, and so in that year, in that whirlwind of time um, in my personal life, the Lord revealed himself to me, and I had started a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: I also grew up in Dallas, actually just a few miles away from Liz. I was the youngest of four kids. My dad was 45 when I was born and worked all the time, so my mother did most of the parenting. Uh, I learned a lot just from watching my brother and sisters. Mostly I learned what not to do. My siblings were uh, trouble and they wore my parents out, and so I grew up with almost total freedom by the time I was in high school. They spent most of their time traveling. They left me at home, uh, trusting that I would make good choices. I didn't make such good choices. (laughs) (laughs) With this freedom, I grew up too quickly, and I was into everything, Uh, everything. And like Liz, uh, by the time I was 17 years old, I was just worn out. I was just worn out from life at 17, and uh, I was ready to be rescued, and that's just what Christ did. He rescued me from myself and my self-destructive behavior, and I was ready to live differently. And providentially, the Lord put a godly man in my life who introduced me to uh, not only to Christ, but really started to help me with my patterns of destructive behavior. Uh, Liz and I had dated for five years on and off while um, she was in a sophomore in college. I graduated from SMU and started my uh, first job on the road, and I became lonely. I was tired of being single, Uh, and one weekend, just out of the clear blue sky, you know how all of y'all planned your your whole event? I just said, let's just get married. And um, so it was a complete surprise to her. It was a surprise to uh, her friends, my family, uh, to the dismay of her parents, Uh, We were married at the end of her junior year uh, while she was at Texas. And as newlyweds, uh, one of our first conflicts centered around making decisions together. Uh, I was very comfortable making decisions. Liz was careful, really liked to make the right decision. Um, That didn't work for me because it took too long. And if she couldn't decide within my time frame, then I would simply unilaterally make the decisions for us and um, I, I just had trouble handling her opinion and what I thought was right and so there was just this conflict going on pretty quick into the situation uh, for example when we bought our first house um, she couldn't decide on the furniture so I just went out one day and picked out all the furniture for our dining room and living room all by myself so Really, you can imagine how well that worked. I was a complete jerk and idiot. And uh, that, that was my pattern for a while. I made decisions primarily based upon my needs. Philippians two four says, Don't look merely at your own interest, but look to the interest of others. And I failed in that area, not showing her honor.
1: Don't worry, God is teaching us that still today. I loved being married, uh, we were still just kids, but I wasn't very good at creating a home. I was only 22 and I had been living in at home in a dorm and then a sorority house where there were people serving meals and picking up after me. So I thought I was really capable in most areas of life, I was very independent, but very little failure led me to be a prideful person. And when I couldn't meet Robert's expectations in marriage, I became defensive and defeated I didn't like some guy controlling me and making all the decisions. And I, I wanted to make for myself, and I resented him for it. And so my pride kept me focused on Robert's behavior without really seeing my own inadequacies. And if we weren't going to be a team, if we were going to be a team, then we both had to get in the game, and we need, needed lots of practice at moving away from our own self-interest. I know you're doing that too, and towards supporting each other. So three years in, first daughter born, love being a mom, but as anyone will tell you, children don't fix the issues, they magnify them. So after our second daughter was born, it became harder for me to try to manage Robert's overwhelming expectations of me and then care for my baby girls. And in the midst of that very busy time, our workload doubled when we found out I was pregnant with twins.
0: So we went to counseling because it wasn't working, and uh, I remember distinctly saying at Counseling, I'm not sure I love you. This is when our second child was born. And uh, I'm not sure that I'd ever loved you. And I can still remember her going out and getting in the car and just being like, Oh my gosh, I now have two kids and a husband who doesn't love me. And uh, so I was serving as an elder in my church. I was working crazy in business. Uh, I was trying to juggle all the balls and inside, I just I felt like a crazy person. I was just crazy. And um, my fear of not being able to keep everything going made me an angry person, too. And much of my anger was focused right here. Uh, and it took very little to trigger me. And I, I constantly had a case. It was just always some thing I had against her. And it, it really... I think it caused her to walk on eggshells much of the time. But, you know, by around year six, seven, or eight, I really think our relationship started to buckle. And counseling helped me see that I just had to figure out who we were going to be first uh, in order for this life to work. And that this control thing had to give up. I had to give up the control and give it to the Lord. And um, so my pride and arrogance just weren't working. And so my Heavenly Father, he agreed and he decided that it was time for some serious refining to go on in my heart. Hebrews 12.5 says that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And um, he tells us not to faint when we are reproved by him. But sometimes, as in my case, God had to knock out all the props before I could understand what he wanted for me. In my early 30s, my father died suddenly. My business fell apart as the result of the Tax Reform Act of 1986, to kind of date us a little bit. And uh, and Liz just delivered our premature girls 10 days after my dad's funeral. Uh, and as my business world was failing apart, falling apart, so was my ability just to handle life. And I became physically and emotionally unavailable to her and my circumstances just were too much and it was then that god decided to perform a deeper heart work and change in me
1: so one morning i went outside to the garage to take the trash out and i discovered robert still in his car in the garage unable to start the engine he was dreading the office and the issues waiting him there and his pile had just become overwhelming like he said Both of us had been so focused on the demands of life, we'd missed some of these warning signs. We're looking back on them, and and it's easier to see. All the stress caused him to fall into a really serious depression, and I felt the pressure to keep the household going and running that and supporting Robert as he worked to piece back together his world. Uh, Looking back, I can see the Lord was training me to rely on the Lord instead of my unusually capable-at-so-many-things husband. Uh, which he was not then. He was pretty helpless. What Robert needed was my support and not my words or wisdom or my unsolicited um, recommendations or opinions. As, as tough times usually do, we began to have a, a season where the Depression passed, and with the help of some great counseling, we were able to get back on solid ground. But there was even a greater challenge that lay ahead for us.
0: We had those twins, and one of them was born with a chemical imbalance, resulting in severe bouts of depression and emotional distress uh, since she was born. And um, she was faced with this instability all of her growing up years. She would courageously deal with her ongoing anger, sadness, and hopelessness. Uh, I remember at like seven or eight her putting her hand through a door, um, which was just really strange for us to deal with. Uh, It was devastating not to be able to, to deal with her misery By the time she reached 15, uh, her daily existence was so difficult that she asked us to find a place where she could receive better care, and um, she was just, she wasn't making it. So um, we put her in a residential care facility in Denver uh, where she lived, attended school, and received uh, emotional support for that year and a half. By the time she went away, we thought things would just get better. Our family was so torn. Our, our other three daughters, her twin and her two older sisters, were just done. We were all fried. I mean we had we had just really uh, not supported one another that that well, and uh, and our marriage was thinned. We just didn't have very much. And if there was any oxygen in the room, we kind of wanted it for ourselves. And we understand firsthand why some of you folks. Are, are in re there 's just an emptiness there's just you 're just worn out, and that 's where we were and and the grieving and the sadness uh, it, it was just it, it was a lot for us, so um, we had delayed dealing with the impact all, on all of it in ourselves. We had put that aside, and you can 't do that all the pent up emotions and the trying to process the effect on our marriage. Uh, trying to acknowledge the impact on our other siblings, other kids, uh, and continually visiting our daughter in Denver. Um, You know, we'd like to tell you when she returned a year later that our circumstances improved, but they really didn't.
1: So her difficulties in school and bad boyfriends and hurting herself, and a few years later, two suicide attempts left us on a level of empty that challenged our marriage and our personal walks with the Lord. Our daughter's struggles taught me to be a very good advocate for her during that time, but the Lord had to teach me to take care of me. I learned two very important principles, and oddly, the first one comes from the airplane. I know a lot of you know this, where you're listening to all the instructions, and they say in event of loss of pressure, an oxygen mask will automatically drop, and be sure and put yours on first. And then help others around you. So taking care of yourself is not a selfish act. And that was really important that I learned that. Actually, just the opposite. Um, We must first be equipped in God's power and strength and his perspective, or we'll be pulled under right with them, uh, with those we're attempting to rescue. The second lesson came from Psalm 139, which says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. I'm still learning to examine the state of my own heart. And before trying to exhort him, I need to look at me. Still learning being the key words. So it's much easier to cast the blame and try to um, put it on him than to look at my own stuff.
0: As for me, I felt like I was in a pit. Um, There was just no way to escape And I couldn't understand why the Lord would try to just barely allow us to make it each day. And it was crushing uh, to realize how many years this had been going on. And I felt powerless to help my daughter and lead my family well. Maybe you've been in this place in your life. Maybe you're there right now. Um, God's comfort came to me, uh, oddly enough, in Psalm 40. And uh, King David was talking about being in the pit himself. And he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me, and he heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the pit. And he put my feet on solid ground. And he put a new song in my heart, a song of praise. And um, I didn't want to wait patiently. I had a really hard time dealing with a daughter that couldn't make life work. And... I realized much of my anger towards the Lord uh, was being placed on my wife and on my girls. And in my my mind, it was just too much to handle. Um, Liz and I could not agree on what to do, on how to handle particular situations. And I would feel threatened that she wouldn't allow me to take the lead. And um, there's that control thing again. And, uh, but, but God did not give up on me. And he faithfully taught me to wait, just to wait patiently. And he, uh, he lifted me out of the mud and the mire of the pit, and he set my feet on solid ground. And he put a new song in my heart, a song of praise.
1: So after many years of dealing with that family crisis on top of just all the other issues of life, the Lord has shown us that he is big enough to handle our mix of fears and doubts and anger and disappointment. And it's also become clear that asking why, why God, is such a big waste of time. Instead, ask him how. How do I keep going when my strength is gone? How do I respect my husband when he's so mean to me? How do I trust you with so many fears, God, for my daughter? Or finances for you, or health, or whatever. Every day I had to move from fear... Back towards faith and I couldn't spend too much time and I still can't on the what ifs or what's next by God's incredible grace our daughter who struggled for 26 years is doing so amazingly well beyond what we could have imagined or hoped for and God in his same that same grace continues to teach us new lessons and we still get pop quizzes even now while we're starting our new close group um, on things we thought we had down pat so just in the past year I had to go back to my own circle, y'all have talked about that, and work hard on me, not him, on me. Living with crazy in our family all those years, I developed some unhealthy ways of relating to Robert. And trying to navigate uncontrollable behavior and reactions created a real high level of vigilance in me, watching for the next explosion or the impending breakdown or you know the probability of kind of a tidal wave in our, of sorts in our family. I live with a constant antenna up constant. And Robert's a shoot from the hip kind of guy. He's a visionary. He's willing to take risk. But my desire for control and calm and avoidance of trouble causes me to anticipate instability and to attempt to control the outcome and to direct Robert and how we should navigate that big and small issue. So this communicates to him, I don't trust you and I know how to do it better. Well, Robert told me he felt like he was living with his mother at times So this is now. This is not years later. This is now. I'm telling you what we're going through. We laid this whole ugly, broken mess before our community group. And all this junk, and just like many of you are doing right now in your closed groups and re-engage each week, and it's humbling, and it's hard, and it's exhausting, the process is. So I've been working within my circle to own my part, dealing with my prideful heart again, thinking I know best, over and over, I've been humbled in my inability, really my lack of trust in the father to lead through Robert. And once I acknowledged who I was really letting down, my heavenly father, then I began to seek his approval over my actions and responses to Robert. And currently, I'm out of the deep end of the pool, but I'm still practicing every day these these strokes. And I can't depend on his stability or on his behavior in order to live with him in a respectful way. But it sure does encourage me when I see him working on his part as well and sharing with me how he intends to strengthen us.
0: So you may not have a troubled kid or a depressed or demanding spouse, but you've got something that intensely challenges your marriage Mm -hmm. and your faith. And you're probably tired of asking for relief. And waiting on God. Wondering whether he is strong enough to transform your life, your marriage. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not forsake you or fail you. We have seen him renew our hope in the incredible healing of our daughter's emotional health. Uh, we want to continue to provide encouragement to as many hurting couples as we can to tell them what it looks like out of the pit. We'd love to see you uh, trying to have courage and to show up here and to be available to each other in your group and uh, to say, yeah, I'm in. I'm closing all the doors. It's, it's, it's about me and the Lord and my spouse. So we say yes whenever it's our turn to share, hoping someday it will be yours.